It's Friday. We're live in Pensacola. You've got questions. We've got answers. The phone lines are open. It's time for The Line of Fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown, your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Michael Brown is the director of the Coalition of Conscience and president of Fire School of Ministry. Get into The Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. That's 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Welcome to the line of fire. We got this whole setup here yesterday. I apologize for the dead airspace. And yesterday we we had our because we're on the road. We're live in Pensacola. We had the phone sideways, and for us it showed. Uh, we were doing a live stream and and video, and for us it showed it was fine. But I couldn't see comments coming in because they were coming in sideways, and everyone's trying to tell me you're sideways. We can't see you. So I was looking at numbers of people watching. I thought, seems odd. It's very low. Well, it's because I was on there sideways. So everyone listening, the good news is, the good news is listening on radio, you can't tell if I'm sideways or not. You can't tell if my hair is nicely brushed and combed, mustache combed or, or not. But we're all, we're all good. All good here. 866-34-TRUTH is the number to call. Any question of any kind that relates in any way to the broadcast, give us a call, 866-348-7884. Anything that's appropriate for Christian radio, 866-34-TRUTH is the number to call. And I'm going straight to the phones. We'll start in Oregon with Joe. Welcome to the Line of Fire. Hello, Dr. Brown. How are you doing today? Doing very well, thank you. Hey, it's a real pleasure to talk to you, and I am just really excited about this conversation because I feel like it's been a long time coming, even though I've only been listening to your material for a short time. Um, See, God has been working in my life a lot recently, and I was wondering if I could offer an explanation by way of testimony and then present a couple of issues that I've been dealing with and I was want- that you might speak to or have some sure. advice. Sure, yeah, as, long- as long as you can do it in, in short version— radio version versus face-to-face version, okay? Yes, I understand. you uh, limited time and uh, schedule there. So um, a long time ago, when I was a teenager, uh, I knew that God had called me. And mm-hmm. for a long time, I was very deeply pulled by the Holy Spirit towards Christ. Um, but my mind got in the way as no one was capable of answering questions that I was asking, because mm. they just seemed yep. unequipped for it. Yep. And it wasn't until very, very recently that God has blessed me with a lot of answers that I was looking for uh, a while back, and in the form of apologetics and origin of life and just things of that nature. And since then, um, he has completely changed my life. Um, I have completely removed a porn addiction from my life. Praise no God. longer addicted to video games. Um, so, so in, in other words, once once you became sure about your faith, then you were able to make a wholehearted commitment to the Lord and find freedom. But when you were unsure oh, about yeah. your faith, those things... Okay, all clear. Very powerful. Yeah, please go uh, ahead. Okay, so um, 
I, I sense that God is calling me to do things in my life. As a matter of fact, I'm, I'm confident that I could say that he's called me to ministry. Mm-hmm. And I, I believe, and I, I say this as humbly as you can say something like this, but I believe God has given me gifts, and I believe that he wants me to share them with people. Mm-hmm. Um, and my, my issue is that, and I'm trying to summarize this briefly, my issue is that I lack guidance. I lack a partner that I, I know that I need. And there are a, a few smaller issues that I feel like I'm struggling with, and I'm not sure what to do with. And it's just like, for instance, in my area, there are no real good spiritual leaders. The, the most spiritual speak people that I know in this area have no faith in any of the spiritual leaders in this area. And I, I feel like that might be part of my calling is to help fill that. But I am... This has only happened as, as late as December, and yeah, so, so I'm, I'm still renewing it. Yeah, let, 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 me, uh, let me weigh in, Joe, and, and you did a great job of summarizing. Thank you, because I know it's a big story and an important story. Mm-hmm. It's your life, but it's important for others to hear that, too. The, the, when we don't allow people to ask questions or when it's taboo to have doubt, then it only increases doubt and question. It doesn't help. We have to be able to tell people, hey, you're struggling. That's a great question. That's a really good question. I had that question mm-hmm. too. Or, okay, I see where you're coming from. I don't have an answer, but let's dig and get answers. That, is, that instills so much more confidence than the way that we often do things, which is, oh, you're not, no, what's wrong with you? So thank God yeah. you, you've overcome that and gotten through that. Obviously, ideally, you need, I don't want to ask what city you're in because I don't want to make a judgment about the area, and, and it's not for us to recommend local mm-hmm. congregations for mm-hmm. many reasons. But ideally, you need to be in a congregation with, with a godly pastor, leader, or in, in a home group with an elder you can trust. And, and I feel quite sure that in a state like that, there are other people, large church, small church, house church, where there are godly people that you can be around and get around. But let me just suggest something else. If you feel called to do ministry, want training, the personal issues, we ha- let's pray that God will bring you into a right relationship. Let's, let's pray that God will plant you in a good place where you can put roots down and have godly people, a good friend, solid around you. Okay. Let's pray for that. Uh, but our ministry school where we train and equip people, foundations of the word, foundations in character, foundations in the things of the spirit, etc. Fire School of Ministry, we've brought all of our classes, our entire program online. And uh, one, we're, we're just getting launched now, but in the weeks and months ahead, we'll start with weekly uh, times where different faculty members come on and interact with students in, in a live forum setting. That might be just the thing for you to help you grow, to help you uh, become everything God wants you to be, to get trained and equipped, along with some local church relationship. To find out more, go to fireschoolofministry.com. Fireschoolofministry.com. It's our full intensive two-year program with practicums to do somehow you'll have to be related to a local church to fulfill all of this, but this could be something of help to you. May the Lord bring to you, if you can't find them, bring to you the right people that can partner with you and help mentor you and strengthen you. God bless you, Joe. Appreciate it. The call, 866-34-TRUTH. 
We're going to go to the phones in a moment, back to the phones. But just looking at a question from Matthew on our Facebook feed, I normally don't see these because of our studio setup where we have lots of feeds coming in. But on the road here, I do see some of the Facebook questions and comments. And uh, questions are being asked about Benny Hinn and his renouncing of prosperity gospel message and of carnal fundraising methods, manipulative fundraising methods. And in point of fact, he I addressed this on the air yesterday, but just in brief today, he made a strong statement renouncing the prosperity gospel in 2003. I can't say what happened between 2003 and today. I can say in 2015, I, I made a written appeal to him after appearing on his TV show to, to seek to get our message out to his viewing audience. I made a written appeal to him to repudiate carnal fundraising and to set an example for the rest of the body. So I haven't even watched the video. I've just read quotes from the video. I hope he has truly renounced it. Someone close to me said this has nothing to do with critics attacking him or his nephew having a book against him and against the prosperity gospel. This has to do with his own relationship with the Lord and the Lord dealing with him. I hope that's all true. I want to believe for the best. He's recognizing he did wrong and spread a wrong message, which is damaging. Uh, let's cheer him on to do the right thing. But I don't know any other details. I have no contact with him, relationship with him. I can't say. I always want to believe for the best. But now, you know, this is happening. This don't know. I, I don't know more. And, and again, I can only say how I'm looking at it, which is hoping for the best and saying, hey, whatever's being said to renounce this wrong doctrine and these manipulative fundraising methods, let's say amen to it and hope that he will move forward in a positive way. 866-34-TRUTH. Uh, let's go to Mark in Raleigh, North Carolina. Welcome to the line of fire. Hi, thank you. Um, I have a question. Um, who sends us to hell? Is that the devil or God? Oh, it's certainly not the devil. No, certainly not the devil. Okay. If you read, uh, so on the one hand, our sins send us there. In, in, in other words, by refusing God's grace, we sentence ourselves there. Um, it says in Matthew 25 at the end of that chapter <laughs> that hell is prepared for the devil and his angels. So the devil is sent there himself. But if you look in Revelation chapter 20, Revelation chapter 20, beginning verses 10, 11, and up through verse 15, you'll see that God will cast into the lake of fire, being the place of final judgment, all those whose names are not written in the book of life. So it is God who does it. Satan himself will end up there. It is created first for Satan, according to Scripture, and then secondarily for those who follow him. We might follow him there, but he doesn't send anyone there. We sentence ourselves okay. by our refusal of God's grace, and God carries out the sentence and is the one. He's the judge. And, and he makes the decision. All clear? Okay. So, right. I just have one follow-up question. Yeah, sure. Um, so if it isn't the devil that's responsible for getting us into hell, then what is the devil's role? What is the problem with the devil? What, what makes the devil so problematic for humanity? All right. He is a deceiver. He is an accuser. He is a murderer. He is a liar. He is a tempter. So look at it like this. If, 
if the devil could get someone to drink so heavily that they get cirrhosis of the liver, the cirrhosis of the liver kills them, but it's, it's the devil that got them into the wrong behavior. If the devil can get someone so demented and so angry and furious that they go out and murder someone, now the, the, the judge will sentence that person to jail, but it's the devil who tempted that person, pulled that person. So he is a seducer. He is a liar, a deceiver. He births false religions and cults. He lies to believers. So his whole goal is to get people to question God, to disbelieve in God, to rebel against God, to do what's wrong for their own destruction, and then God himself will judge them. He's dangerous, destructive. Friends, anything he offers you, anything he promises you, it's evil. It's going to destroy you. Hey, it's like a miracle on Friday, but we have some phone lines open. Now is the perfect time to call 866-348-7884. It's the Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get into the Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Hey, just a quick reminder, friend. If you have been blessed by one of my books, uh, share it with a friend. Tell a friend. Let them know. That's why we write the books to reach as many as possible. And then post a review on Amazon. Uh, it, it just helps other people know that the book is worth looking at. I'm, I'm not, it's not for public opinion. It's not like, I want everyone to say it's a great book. Because sometimes the best book is, is not read for years or not read till after you die or is hated by as many people as it's loved. That, that's not it. It's just that in this age where people get online and look at things, if, if I'm interested in getting something, and I see, you know, half the reviews are positive, half the reviews are negative, I immediately think, eh, something might be funny here. If I see they're overwhelmingly positive or negative, that's very indicative. And we do get people that don't like us. As you know, not everybody likes Nice smile like this. You're wondering how that could be, but not everybody likes me. All right, so we get bogus reviews, nasty reviews, completely unrelated to, to the actual content of our books and we just want to balance them with good, truthful, honest reviews, edifying reviews. So if, if we've been a blessing to you, the newest book, Jezebel's War with America, Our Hands Are Stained with Blood, the new revised edition comes out, let's see, a little over a week from now, 11 days from now, but that'll be out. But Playing with Holy Fire or Breaking the Stronghold of Food or Not Afraid of the Antichrist or many of our recent books, older books, if they've been a blessing, even if you didn't buy it on Amazon, as long as you have an account there, go there, post a positive review that will bless Others, if you've been blessed, 866-34-TRUTH. Let's go to Jamila in Pennsylvania. Welcome to the Line of Fire. Hi, praise the Lord, Dr. Brown. Hi, how are you? Hey. I'm excited to talk to you. Praise the Lord. Um, Yes, praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, my God, I can't wait for him to come. Oh, my gosh. Okay. So my question is, I have two questions. Hopefully I can get to it. So why did Jesus call himself the son of man. I'm thinking it has to do with like the first Adam and him being the second Adam, but you're the doctor and I need you to help me with it. Yeah. Some would look at it that he's identifying himself as, as a human, human being, which son of man would, would mean. But uh, he's clearly referring to Daniel chapter seven, Daniel mm-hmm. chapter seven. 
If you'll begin reading in verse 13, there's a vision there. And the Ancient of Days, right. that's God the Father, sitting there. There's a, a river of fire coming from his throne. And then there's one who looks like a son of man. So it means he looks like a human being. But in Aramaic, mm-hmm. Barnasha in, in Hebrew, Ben-Adam, that's saying this one who looks like a human being is before the throne, and he is a supernatural being, and, and all the world will end up worshiping him and serving him. And, and he comes in the clouds of heaven. Jesus says that's how he's going to return in the clouds of heaven as the supernatural being. So he's referring to himself as the Son of Man uh, rather than directly going around saying, I'm the Messiah. He's saying it in a way that's more of a hint. And then you think, okay, what does he mean? And then you go to Daniel 7 and see what he's, uh, uh, how he is uh, introducing himself. Seven so, thirteen. I got yeah, my, Daniel, I got Daniel my seven. Bible here. Yep. Thirteen. Okay, I saw a vision. Yeah, that's why I said. Okay. All right. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So he's yes. saying it prophetically. Yeah, that this is who he in, is. In that, that he he okay. is this very one who one day will come in the clouds of heaven. He's the supernatural being who's here on the earth and who will one day come in the clouds of heaven. Yes. Okay. All right. Now, the other question is, um, we had a question and answer uh, session in church, Mm -hmm. and someone asked a question about heaven. Like, they weren't sure about, you know, going to heaven or if it is a heaven, because they said um, in the beginning, like in in Genesis, like Enoch, he was, um, you know, he walked with God, then he was not. Like, was he just taken up? And then Elijah. Now, the question is, before um, Jesus died and he wrote, you know, before his resurrection, before the veil was open, was there a heaven yeah. in a new covenant? Yes, ma'am. I mean, in an old covenant. Right. So so um, this is actually a debate, Jamila. That they said it was a paradise, and right. I'm so like, there, I'm reading the two, Bible. Yeah, there's two like, different views, okay? So, Write down okay. Luke chapter 16, okay? Luke uh, chapter mm-hmm. 16. Jot that down. And you'll see there a, a parable. Is it a parable story about a rich man and Lazarus? And the rich man goes to Hades, which is, is hell. And the, uh, the, the poor man, Lazarus, goes to paradise called Abraham's bosom. So there are two views, and, and scholars debate this. One is that before the cross, before Jesus rose from the dead and ascended to heaven, that the, the godly who died before that would go to a place called paradise, which was somehow under the earth or something like that. It, just like say this, if hell is on one side, paradise is on the other side. You could see each other theoretically or just two separate compartments if you want to put it in a localized way. You were talking about spiritual places, but put it in a localized way. Paradise, which would be under the earth, waiting for Jesus to die, rise from the dead, and ascend to heaven. Others say, no, no, of course not. Of course not. The end of Psalm 17, David says, when I die, I'll, I'll see your countenance. That believers upon death went into heaven, went into God's presence. There's a debate about it. But if you look at Luke 16, that's where people get the idea of paradise from. All right, 866-34-TRUTH. Before I go back to the phones, just looking here on Facebook, I saw the name of a brother and he mentioned that when I taught at Christ for the Nations, 83 to 87, that he came and ministered there. Uh, Richard, I remember you well. There was a couple, a young couple, they had been in the school for one year. 
uh, and they, without anyone knowing it, they had told the leadership that they weren't going to take the second year. They were going to, uh, they were going to be leaving. So only the leadership knew it. And you got up to speak one day, and you looked at them, and you said, "You're leaving," and they were completely mortified. And then the word you had for them, for them from the Lord was goodbye with a smile. Wasn't it you also that you were ministering in Poland? Correct me if I'm wrong. This is decades ago. You were ministering in Poland. I think it was Poland. And you got off the plane to be picked up at the airport. And the man picking you up didn't know. Uh, uh, no, no, hang on. That, that's, a, that's a story with another brother. But anyway, yes, I absolutely remember your ministry there and uh yeah god bless you glad to see that you are going strong 866-34-TRUTH let's go to jeffrey in kentucky thanks so much for calling the line of fire hey dr brown really nice to talk to you Uh, good to talk with you thank you my question is pretty cut and dry i'm looking at uh, chapter 5 verse 14 pretty Mm -hmm. long verse one I've read dozens of times, but it's just recently been giving me trouble. Um, so it reads, uh, this is the confidence that we have toward him, yeah. that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And so my question is specifically about that phrase, according to his will. Yep. Uh, what, what do you think that means? Right, so, so let, let, me, let me read the next verse, because it's wonderful. This is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Verse 15, and if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask... We know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. So according to his will means that if we pray prayers that are in accordance with his will, meaning uh, if I pray, oh God, make me a multi-billionaire, and that's not his will for my life, I I can't be confident that he is going to hear and respond to that. Oh God, uh, make me uh, the next famous movie star, make me the president of the United States, Etc. Uh, Etc. Et I have no confidence he's going to hear that if it's outside his will. If it's contrary to his word, right? Uh, Lord, anoint me as I go to rob the bank. Okay. Obviously, he's not going to hear us. So the whole goal is to find ourselves in harmony with him. John fifteen seven. Jesus says, "If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask what you will." and it will be done for you. The same with Psalm 1-3, whatever the godly man does, because he's meditating the word day and night, that whatever he does will succeed because he's doing it in harmony with God. So I want to pray prayers that are in harmony with God's purpose and will. Uh, often, over the years, I've, I've prayed the Lord's Prayer and then broken it down in my own life and in a local level. Lord, may your name be hallowed uh, in my own life, in my body, in my mind. May, may your will be done in, in our ministry in accordance with your plan. And then as I, as I believe I'm in harmony with him, so praying for a friend to be saved who doesn't know the Lord or, or praying for a situation to unfold where I believe I understand God's purpose, then I'm confident God's hearing me. And when I have that assurance, many times, well before any answer of any kind comes, I'm rejoicing and praising God because I know he heard, I know it's done, I know it's going to happen. It would be like, you know, your dad 
uh, who's helped you out over the years and, and you need $1,000 to pay an urgent bill, a medical bill just came up and he said, hey, I just wired it. It's on its way. You're already praising God before it got there because your father's word is good. How much more, Heavenly Father? Does that make sense to you? It does, yeah. So could I follow up very briefly? Yeah, sure. So I, I, I guess, so yeah, obviously, if, you know, we're not wanting to pray for worldly things. I don't want to pray for a you know, vacation home or whatever. But uh, in a situation where, situation where you're praying for something, let's say someone has a, a ministry that they'd really like to em- embark on or uh, a relationship or something they'd like to enter into, whether it's, you know, a ministry relationship or, you know, a, a personal relationship, whatever. And it's, again, it's it's a godly thing. It's not... But you don't, right, you don't know exactly purpose. if it's God's will or not. I'm just jumping in because I got a break. So here's how I pray according to God's will. Father, I'm presenting this to you. Lord, I'd really like to do this, but I want your best. Lord, I really feel good about moving forward with this ministry relationship or this partnership, but I'm presenting it to you. Have your way in it. Direct my steps. That I can pray knowing he's hearing and he'll answer that as I'm sincere. God of light, hear our cry. It's The Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Hey, friends. Welcome to The Line of Fire coming away live from Pensacola, Florida, 866-34-TRUTH. Before I go to the phones, you've got questions, we've got answers. Any question of any kind that's appropriate for Christian radio and to all the critics, the mockers, the skeptics that blast me day and night on, on social media, call me. Tell me, what you're, tell me why I'm so wrong. Tell me why I'm so heretical. Tell, tell me why I'm so unreliable. Please prove that, that I'm on the payroll of Mossad and, and all, <laughs> all the other things that come our way. By all means, call. I, I'm very happy to talk with you. Yeah, you'll get to say your piece and I'll get to respond. If you got truth on your side, awesome. If not, be careful because I got truth on my side. Or, better than that, I'm on the side of truth. And wherever I'm not, trust me, I'll get there quick. 866-34-TRUTH. Let's go to Rick in Greensboro, North Carolina. Welcome to the Line of Fire. Hi, Dr. Brown. Thanks for taking my call. You are very welcome. Uh, so uh, my question is: my question is this. My, uh, I was raised in a Christian family and, and don't know uh, any other belief system, mm-hmm. um, which was, you know, a blessing, obviously. My yeah. father was the spiritual leader within our home, as, as he should be. And unfortunately, when I was in my, my sister and I, who were the only siblings, when we were in college, my father passed away unexpectedly in a mm. plane crash. He was in the oh. military. And... My mother, who was raised in a Christian family, but was sort of what I would call a lukewarm Christian, um, fell into uh, a relationship with the Jehovah's Witnesses, who called on her, um, you know, as a widow shortly after my father's death, and she ultimately converted to that. I don't even want to call it a religion, but that belief. Mm -hmm. And, you know, despite numerous attempts and conversations between um, 
my sister and I and my mother and other people, um, you know, we were not able to convince her that she was heading in a wrong direction. Yeah. But, you know, the, the question I have is that I mentioned she was a lukewarm Christian. Well, after she became a Jehovah's Witness, she was more on fire for God and Jesus than I'd ever seen her. And I didn't know whether that was a blessing or not. And, you know, she's ultimately passed away um, still believing in that uh, belief system. And, you know, my question is, is she saved? Because I really struggle with that. Yeah, listen, uh, being the son of Jewish parents and having many friends who are children of Jewish parents, and we came to faith, and then did our parents believe? Did they open their hearts? Did they die resisting the gospel? These are very painful questions. Ultimately, only God knows how, how your mother died, what she believed, what her state of mind was. And, and obviously, calling a radio host, I can't, I can't give you inside information, as, as of course you understand. So your, your question being theological, Jehovah's Witnesses, uh, uh, they are a cult. What they teach is false. They do not preach a biblical gospel. They do not preach a biblical Jesus. They do not preach a biblical way of salvation. They do not bring a message that brings people into fellowship with God and a knowledge of forgiveness of sins and possession of eternal life. That, that would mean, uh, tragically, that if your mother fully embraced this, that she did so by rejecting the truth of God and rejecting the true gospel, in, in which case, tragically, she would, she would be lost. The only hope I would have uh, would, would be this, that she didn't really understand the message, that she translated what she knew before into now a serious commitment. I made a Jehovah's Witness woman just one time in all my life, one time, and everything I said to her, she seemed to be as saved and born again as anybody I had talked to. I mean, sound and believing and rejoicing and same view of things. I thought, okay, she's obviously ignorant because that's not what Jehovah's Witnesses believe. Could that have been the case with your mother? I don't know, but I, I just say this, Rick. My, my dad died suddenly in 1977. Uh, Nancy and I were were married. We just had our first child. I just got out of college. So a, a loss at a similar time to, to, to yours. And my dad had really opened up. He would, he would come to church and hear me preach. He actually started reading the New Testament and, and said, you know, when am I going to feel something? And I thought, okay, God's at work little by little. And then suddenly he was gone. So he certainly died without ever making a profession of faith. Is it possible that with his open heart, you know, Jesus said, whoever receives you receives me. That's what uh, one of my friends, a Jewish believer, felt the Lord showed him when one of his parents died, but they completely embraced him as a believer, as a, as a follower of Jesus. So I, I agonized over that, just as you would. And the only conclusion I came to is this. I, I know my Father, my Heavenly Father. I know how incredibly good and, and perfectly just he is and how compassionate and long-suffering he is and how patient he is with me. So that made me to understand that whatever God's verdict is, when I stand before him, I'll know what was right. 
I'll know it was right, and, and, and I'll accept that. So all I can say is be all the more zealous to share the gospel with others and, and, and to pray for people to come out of the deception of Jehovah's Witnesses. And as for your mother, you just have to trust God that on that day it will all make sense, and, and maybe there'll be an amazing surprise waiting for you. Rick, thank you. Thank you for such an honest and open call. I appreciate it. Uh, 866-34-TRUTH. We go to Eric in Cary, North Carolina. Thank you for calling the line of fire. Thank you for your program. I've uh, been studying the rapture, uh, trying to figure out, you know, between the pre-trib and the other ones. And uh, I come to the uh, question of, what would be the purpose of the resurrection of the uh, asleep in Christ at the time of the rapture? It's a curiosity that um, they would need to be bodily raised out of the grave. I don't, I don't, what's your right, understanding? So, so that? a, a tra- that's an interesting question. So a traditional pre-trib rapture view, dispensationalist, would say that 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 Jesus will come and resurrect the the dead believers and then catch all of us up who are who are currently on the earth catch us up to heaven where we'll be with him for seven years and then we'll return with him so obviously according to this theology he's got to take us out of the way before the tribulation comes but your question is well why does he have to do that with the dead they're not affected by the tribulation correct that that's your question yeah well it, it seems silly because the the uh the believers are with him in heaven and they have to get the bodies out of the grave and reconstruct them out of the ocean and all that. I don't get it. Right, right. Well, ultimately that's going to happen. In other words, the the goal for us is not to be unclothed, but clothed. Paul gets into that in second Corinthians five. The goal is not to be uh, eternal spirits, but to be eternal spirits and bodies resurrected. Right. So whole Uh human beings, right. But I, I don't believe in a pre-trib rapture, sir. Um, I, I believe that at the, the end of this age, Jesus being with us in the midst of the worst tribulation imaginable, uh, Jesus giving us grace to be overcomers as he overcame in the midst of the worst tribulation and testing uh, imaginable, that he, uh, he will uh, return in clouds of heaven and blazing fire, taking vengeance on those who don't know God. And when he appears, we'll become like him. We're waiting for what? His appearance, right? When he appears, we will be caught up to meet him in the air. The dead saints will be raised, because at that point, it's resurrection time, right? And then we will descend in the view of the whole world. We will descend together with him. So we are caught up to meet him, not for him to turn around and go back to heaven, the Greek word for meeting him in the air, First Thessalonians 4, it's, it's meeting that you'd go out, the entourage would go out to meet the emperor, the incoming royalty, and you'd escort him back. So we'll be caught up, we'll meet him together and descend to the earth with him where he sets up his kingdom. And then we as resurrected saints will rule and reign together with him. But the goal, the goal is not for us to be eternal spirits but to be eternal spirits in eternal resurrected bodies. That's how God made us in terms of his eternal intention. Hey, thank you for the question. 866-34-TRUTH. And let's go to Joseph in Richmond, Virginia. Welcome to the line of fire. Hello, Dr. Brown. Hey. 
Uh, I was calling about the question that you answered about Jesus uh, as being Son of Man. Yes, sir. And I had done a, and I had I had done a study on that, and um, in John chapter five, where God said that He had given Jesus the authority to execute judgment because He is the Son of Man. Mm-hmm. And I was looking at, at him being the representative man for all of humanity. Is that incorrect? Uh, no, it's it's not incorrect, sir, in, in that Jesus is the last Adam. So the first Adam fell, yes. and the human race fell with him. Now Jesus is the last Adam undoing what the first Adam did, and all who are in the last Adam will benefit with eternal life and eternal blessing and righteousness. So in that capacity, yes, he did, he did function not only as God in the flesh, but as, as a man to whom God had given authority. So there's truth to that. Uh, and using son of man is, is broader. In other words, it is ultimately pointing to Daniel, the seventh chapter, and that's what he makes clear, for example, in, in Mark chapter 14, when he's being questioned by the high priest in Matthew 27, etc., that, that he is the Son of Man who will be coming in the clouds of, of heaven, sitting at the right hand of God. So that's part of it. But yes, I believe it's broader, and that's part of the mystery of the name. In other words, that's why he doesn't just overtly identify himself in one way or another. It does tie him in with humanity. So he had to take on flesh. Hebrews, the second chapter, tells us he had, to, he had to become like us in order to redeem us. He didn't become an angel. He became a human in order to redeem us. So, yeah, got a break, but there's definitely truth to what you're saying. It's broader than just Daniel 7, but it's ultimately pointing to Daniel 7. Thank you, sir. We'll be right back. It's The Line of Fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Get into The Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. All right, here we go. Our last few minutes on the Friday broadcast of The Line of Fire, 866-34-TRUTH. Thank you for calling. Thank you for enriching our broadcast. Thank you for great questions, comments. When I have breaks, I, I hate to have to break in, cut things off, but uh, we try to get to as many as we can. And thank you for great comments, great calls, great questions. Let us go to Nick. Hang on. Nick in Greensville, South Carolina. Welcome to the Line of Fire. Hey, Doc. Appreciate you having me on. You bet. Hey, so, all right. My question is, I was going through the prophets the other day, and the Lord started talking about after the second death, he was saying that, uh, like, lift up your hands, do not fear. Uh, and he was talking about, watch as I restore your glory or all of your treasures in front of you. So my question was, is he talking about perished? Do they have the opportunity of salvation? No, 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 cer- certainly not. Um, when he talks about a nation, I'll restore your fortunes or something, he's, he's talking about the fate of a nation. You know, it, it, it could be... Uh, like like we look at a, a nation that used to be very powerful and, and great nation in the past, and now it's a shell of itself, and it's decimated and f- full of poverty and 
seems to be rejected forever. And God's saying, no, no, at the end, in the, in the latter days, is the way sometimes the prophets would say it. You have that towards the end of the book of Jeremiah, chapters uh, 46 to, to 51, the oracles against the nations there. Some of them are told that their, their fortunes will be restored. Uh, it is not a second chance doctrine. Some have made it into that. It's not a second chance doctrine. As far as, remember, we're talking about individuals ultimately, right? So every individual, right. Hebrews 9.27 still applies. It's appointed unto men once to die, and after this, the judgment. There's not a hint anywhere in the Old or New Testament of the possibility of repentance after death. I know, I know we'd all love that on a certain level. You know, look, I didn't get to really share the gospel well with this relative, and they passed away. You know, will they get to hear it again or in a better setting or, or something? We'd all like that, some kind of second chance or praying someone out of hell or praying someone out of purgatory, but there's not a stitch of Scripture that supports that, which, which makes it all the more urgent for us to share the gospel with others while we have life and breath. Uh, listening to a speaker last night at the conference, he talked about a friend of his dying, and, and he had uh, the speaker was saying how he had believed in Jesus on a certain level but was living in sin and, and still getting high and still partying, and his friend saw it for months, and then when he got really genuinely saved and committed to the Lord, his friend wouldn't hear what he had to say. And shortly after, that friend had a brain aneurysm, went into a coma, never came out of it, died. And it totally shook him up, totally shook him up and thought, wow, I was a hypocrite. He never really heard the message because I was a hypocrite. And when I told him the real message, he, he, didn't, he didn't listen to me because I've been such a hypocrite. And I've, I've got to be responsible. So on the one hand, we can't carry the weight of every soul on our shoulders, but we do want to have a healthy burden and recognize that people without Jesus are lost. So no, there's no, every guy gets resurrected, and then, or, or you're brought back, and then on the earth, let's see, give you a thousand years to see how you do, and no, that's, that's not the way it, it works in terms of those that have died. One life, then we give a count. Hey, thank you, Nick, for a sobering question. 866-34-TRUTH. Uh, let us go to Laura in Massachusetts. Welcome to the Line of Fire. Hi, Dr. Brown. Hello. I read your article this morning that you posted uh, regarding the anti-Semitism rise in the Christian uh, church. Yeah. And one of the questions I've had for a very, very long time, I used to work for a Jewish doctor, and he knew I was a born-again Christian. He used to like to ask me questions. And one day he was very blunt, and he said, you know, why do Christians hate us? And I, he says, you... Is it because we killed your Christ? He said, you didn't kill our Christ. Mm. And he said, well, that's what you say. And I said, no, no, I don't say that. That's what ignorant people say. The mm. truth of the matter is he laid down his life. No one took it from him. Yep. And I just don't understand. I, I don't understand how a true Christian who is um, versed in the Bible can have anti-Semitism, like you were, the things I was reading in the article are just atrocious. Um, and with the, you know, the history of the Church yeah. has, has been like this, and I think that many people have embraced a cultural Christianity versus a biblical Christianity. You're absolutely right. And so consequently, they're, they go off half-cocked, and they, they speak of things that are just ignorant, and they say ignorant things. Right. And so, so here's, I, you know, here's the question. Yeah, here's the question, Laura. Was Martin Luther a cultural Christian? Was John Chrysostom a cultural Christian? Uh, these are some of the, the people who had the loudest voices in history 
castigating the Jews and, and hating the Jews and, and making other horrific statements. If everyone, if Christians in church history simply understood the reality of what you said, that ultimately Jesus laid his life down. Yes, there is Jewish responsibility, Jewish leadership for giving him over to the Romans to be crucified. We are rebuked for doing that in the book of Acts. There's no question. There's responsibility of the Romans for crucifying him. But we all know it's our sins which nailed him to the cross. God sent his son to die. Jesus laid down his life freely. If that had been the message through 2,000 years, there would not have been any persecution of Jews in Jesus' name. And without a doubt, Laura, without a doubt, the the ones who, the Crusades, Inquisition, so much of the horrible stuff that happened, happened by people who clearly didn't have a relationship with the Lord if they carried right. out these atrocities. But your average Jew, does he know the difference? Does she know the difference between who's a real Christian and who's not? You, you know what I'm saying? I, growing up, I just yeah. thought everybody's the same. So here's what I want to do, Laura. I, I appreciate your heart. Stay right there. And uh, Danny is going to come back on. Uh, my new book, the, the revised expanded edition of Our Hands Are Stained With Blood, uh, comes out in 11 days. We actually have some copies in stock. So, Danny, get Laura's name and address. And, Laura, I want to send you as a gift. I've got you on hold now, so if you're thanking me, we appreciate it. But uh, I want to send you as a gift Our Hands Are Stained With Blood, which will document this in church history. I, I just want to warn you, it's going to be a shocker. It's going to be a shocking painful read but i think it'll help you to have it and be an even better witness and prayer warrior for the jewish people so danny get laura's info we're going to send her the new edition of our hands are staying with blood and friends you can still order it from our website and get a signed numbered copy all right I, I signed a whole bunch of them before leaving for pensacola but you can still get the signed numbered copy or you can just go on amazon or christian book and, and pre-order it there all right, 866-34-TRUTH. Let's go to Connor in Spokane, Washington. Welcome to the Line of Fire. Hey, Mike, how you doing? Doing very well, thank you. Hey, just more of a personal question. Just um, out of curiosity, I just wanted to know, I heard one of your shows, you talked about how you were really close with uh, David Wilkerson and Leonard Ravenhill, who are two of my favorite um, mm. preachers of all time. And I was just curious as to who... Um, in the preaching department, and then who, as far as author, just a couple of them that played um, big roles in your walk and your maturation with Christ. Mm. All right. And, and to clarify, uh, I would spend days at a time with Leonard Ravenhill, visit him once or twice every year, the last five years of his life, spend days with him. He was at our home for a few days, ministered, and, and stayed in our house. And we, we talked by phone uh, weekly. I had a great relationship with David Wilkerson, spoke for him, 40 or 50 times, and we would often meet before service, after service, uh, talk by phone, have a rare meal together. But um, he was a very compassionate, loving, gracious man and honored me, you know, opened up his pulpit to me for years, uh, trusted me, you know, was often not there when I preached. But uh, he was such a prophetic, intense person, as, as was Brother Len, but in a different way, that I would say I was closer to Leonard Ravenhill than to David Wilkerson. I, I, had, okay. I had a closer relationship with David's brother, Don. I used to say with David, okay. and I mean this in a very positive way, I wouldn't say it. Uh, it was like fellowshipping with a razor blade. He had these, his eyes and he'd just <laughs> look at you. It's like, I'm cl brother, I'm clean. My life is good, you know, and he was just, just looking. So that's, that's who he was. I wouldn't want to misrepresent, you know, like that we were, we were buddies or something. Um, 
I, I do want to say that in my formative years in the Lord, my first pastor, who was anything but a theologian, was a very simple Bible preacher, but spent hours in prayer, memorized scripture, was a zealous witness, that I followed that example in my early years in the Lord, hours and hours in prayer, hours in the Word, memorizing scripture, sharing the gospel. So in that sense, he was a very positive influence, but not one I could have theological dialogue with. My next pastor was one, was very different type, had a great heart for social issues. We took refugees and we cared for the poor. We were pro-life. This is late 70s, early 80s. Uh, he encouraged me in my studies and, and in my theological thinking, uh, but he was not the one to get me you know, praying and loving Jesus more. It's kind of a, a different thing. And then my next pastor right. for a short period of time really encouraged me to step out even more in faith and the things of the Spirit. And the, the director of the ministry school right, where I taught was a man of great wisdom, and he really helped deepen me in practical people-to-people wisdom. So this is all in the first 17 years or so of, of my—no, I'm, I'm sorry, the first— yeah, 12 to 15 years of, of my being a believer, mm. that these different men impacted me in different ways. So I'm trying to take the good from, from each one and highlight sure. that. Um, there are no contemporary preachers that, that really shaped my, my preaching style or ministry style. I started preaching at 18 and been preaching ever since. Never had formal training for that. The same for debating or lecturing. It's all just things God called me to, to do. David Wilkerson's preaching would hit home with me, and Leonard Ravenhill's would hit home because of that prophetic penetration and revival, repentance, right. calling. Most right. everything I'd gotten over the years is through reading, 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 reading. And uh, Finney's lectures on revival impacted me. Uh, many of Richard Warren Brown's writings impacted me in terms of the suffering church. I was honored to spend time with him. Anyway, a lot more to say, but we're out of time. Back on Monday.